We are in this message series we call The House, and we're talking about different ways that can the metaphor of the, of the house is used in Scripture. So last week we talked about the foundation of, uh, of, of hearing uh, the words of Jesus and putting them into practice. Uh, today we're talking about building equity in the house. Next week we're going to talk about God's house, and the fourth week we're going to talk about a better house, a house that's to come, an eternal place. And so we're going to be in First uh, Corinthians chapter 3 today. If you've got a Bible, I encourage you to find that uh, while I make a few opening remarks. Last week, uh, we, as we looked at the words of Jesus, we, we saw that he said, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is what? Wise. You say it out loud. Say it with me. Wise. Wise. Like a builder who builds his house on, say it, rock. Wow, church, let's do that again. Anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, you know, I'm just going to go back to last week's notes and do that one again, <laughs> apparently. Anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is what? Wise. Wise. Like a person who builds his house on solid? Rock. Rock. Right? The winds come, the storm comes, and the house stands. And we, we realize that, you know, you can build your house any way you like. You're like, what your house looks like is up to you, but it's got, foundation has to be Solid on hearing and obeying Jesus. Now, in the real world of building a house or owning a house, we talk about building equity in your home. So over time, with improvements you make, paying down the mortgage, refinancing for a lower interest rate. You missed your missed your opportunity, by the way. Um, it's going back up. Uh, market appreciation, all those things. You hope that the percentage of what you own becomes greater and greater compared to what you owe. Back in 2007, 2008, 2009, that percentage, you know, got smaller, right? You lost equity in your house. So you lost so much equity, it became a really painful season for you. And then those of you who hung on through that, the equity started to grow back up again. And then you, you, you do some work, you try to make some improvements. When you do that, we call that sweat equity. That your sweaty labor is, is, you know, being converted into greater value in your house, increased equity. The point is that we want to build for equity through quality of work. And the same is true in the spiritual realm. You want over time to contribute to the building of God's kingdom in a way that, that you have a greater stake, greater equity in God's business. You want to, to put um, into God's kingdom in a greater way so that it makes a difference for both now and for eternity. And so Paul is going to help us with this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. If you've got your Bible, I invite you to find that and stand with me for the reading of God's word. First Corinthians 3, starting at verse 1. Paul writes, Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would to spiritual people. I had to talk to you as though you belonged to this world or as though you were infants in the Christian life. I had to feed you with milk, not with solid food, because you weren't ready for anything stronger. And still you aren't ready, for you are still controlled by your sinful nature. You're jealous of one another and you quarrel with each other. Doesn't that prove you're controlled by your sinful nature? Aren't you living like people of the world? When one of you says, oh, I'm a follower of Paul, and another says, oh, I follow Paulus, aren't you just acting like people of the world? After all, who is Apollos and who is Paul? We are only God's servants through whom you believe God's good news. 
Each of us did the work the Lord gave us. I planted the seed in your hearts and Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. The one who plants and the one who waters work together with the same purpose and both will be rewarded for their own hard work. For we are both God's workers and you are God's field. You are God's building. Okay, Paul has a bad habit of mixing his metaphors. Uh, He's called you a field and he called you a building. They're completely unrelated, but that's just how his train of thought would go. All right, so just... Just roll with it. Verse 10. Because of God's grace to me, I have laid the foundation like an expert builder. Now others are building on it. But whoever is building on this foundation must be very careful. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one we already have, Jesus Christ. And anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials. Gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. But on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer a great loss. The builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. Don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God lives in you? God will destroy anyone who destroys this temple. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Amen. Let's be seated. We thank the Lord for his word today. It's good stuff. It's kind of an intense passage, actually. You want to kind of figure out what's going on here. The Apostle Paul, he's writing to a church in the city of Corinth which is in Greece. Here's a picture of ancient Corinth. I've never been there. I did not take this photograph. I uh, hope to get there one of these days. Maybe we'll go as a group. Hey, some of us, why don't we do that? It'll be good. Um, if you've ever heard the term tent maker, it comes from Corinth. That's where, that's where we got that term. See, in Corinth, uh, Paul arrived and he met a couple named Aquila and Priscilla. These were Roman Jewish believers who had ended up in Corinth when uh, the Emperor Claudius had kicked all the Jews out of Rome in the year 49. Expelled the Jews. Jews have always been picked on throughout history and uh, continues to be so. But Quilla and Priscilla were tent makers. That was their trade. And just so happens, that's also Paul's trade. So what we imagine happens, is Paul gets to the city. He uh, he needs to earn some money. And so he goes to kind of the tent making district of the town and says, Hey, anybody looking for work? And he meets this couple who happen to be believers, who happen to be evangelists, and uh, and he and he, they they partner up in both in industry together, but also in ministry together. And so for a while, Paul supports himself by tent making work, and then uh, and does kind of gospel ministry part time. So sometimes today we talk about people who are tent makers. It's like a missionary who has a real job. It's like like a paying job, and also does ministry work on the side. And then Paul's friends Silas and Timothy, they came to town and they, for I don't know what they were doing, but they were able to support Paul so that Paul could do full-time ministry work and his friends were, were doing other work. And you can read all about that in Acts chapter 18. It tells the whole story of how all that came together. Now, the, the church in Corinth had a pretty rocky start. They were kind of a rough bunch. You, you see, you, Paul, as he always did, he went first to the synagogue and some Jews believed, many did not believe, and they, they stirred up a ruckus about this new guy and the message that he was preaching. So then Paul goes to the Gentiles and lots of the Gentiles believe and they're baptized and they begin to follow Jesus. But really, it's a messy bunch of folks. As you read 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, you realize that, 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 that this church struggled with sin 
and conflict and pride and, comp- and you know, competition and sexual immorality and favoritism. Basically, like every church today, they had issues. They had issues. If you think you're in a church that everyone around you is perfect, I'm, I'm sorry, you're just going to be disappointed. We got issues, every one of us. None of us is perfect. And if you're perfect, get out now while you can, because we might ruin you. Okay, so um, that's just the reality of the gospel. Lots of imperfect people. But Paul comes at them with a sharp rebuke. He says, you guys are acting like a bunch of babies, spiritual babies. You guys aren't even growing up. What's the matter with you? You're picking over who's the best preacher and, 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 and you're getting into meaningless arguments. You see it in verses 2 and 3. I've got that one on screen here. Paul writes, I, I had to feed you with milk. Do I have that on a, on a slide, Stuart? Uh, verses 2 and 3. I had to, to feed you with milk, not with solid food, because you weren't ready for anything stronger and you still aren't ready for you're still controlled by your sinful nature. You're jealous of one another. You quarrel with each other. Doesn't that prove you're controlled by your sinful nature? Aren't you living like people of the world? Friends, that's an insult. Like, if you if you tell me as a believer, you're just like the people of the world. That should hurt. That's an insult in a sense. That's a rebuke to say, Paul's basically saying, you guys are a bunch of hypocrites. You talk like, oh, we got the grace of God, and oh, we're like good believers, and oh, we have spiritual gifts, but... There's no difference between you and the people around you? What about those of us in the church? Is there a difference between the way I live and the way my neighbors live? Aren't you embarrassed sometimes that your neighbors are nicer than you are? I am. Like, I have neighbors that are better people than me, and they don't know Jesus. It's awful. Well, those neighbors moved away. So, it's okay. It's okay. Good people. What's happening here? What's happening here? The Corinthian Christians are taking a short-term worldly view of their faith in Jesus when their faith should have transformed their perspective into an eternal one. So there's no lifestyle transformation for them because they're just thinking about it. You know, what can I get out of it? It's kind of a selfish view of salvation. It's almost as though their faith was in the people who told them about Jesus rather than in Jesus himself. You see what happens? You see that difference there? And so Paul writes in verses 6 and 7, he says this, I planted the seed in your hearts. Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. That's what matters. See, this is the danger of what I would call a misplaced faith. That is where we depend on someone else's relationship with God um, and not take God seriously ourselves. So like, well, my, my, you know, my wife, she's the spiritual one. Or, well, my, my parents, they're really into the God stuff, so I just kind of go along with it. Or, you know, where we kind of depend on someone else rather than getting it, it, it real for ourselves. If my spiritual life is going to be real, I need to embrace take hold of a simple spiritual principle that's right in this passage, right? Different people plant the seeds and different people water them, but only God, not people, only God can cause growth to happen. God makes it grow. 
Um, I'm going to show you a couple of pictures here. We're beginning an overhaul of our backyard. My son Stuart has been working hard, digging out. Uh, we had a few animals back there. We got rid of them. And, and uh, we had a cherry tree. It's basically gone. We had a pomegranate thing. That's gone. Grass is all gone. Uh, it's looking a little depressing and kind of overwhelming. This is the point at which you say this. Oh, no. <laughs> what have I done? What have we started here? So we're in it now. And uh, work day is next Saturday. And uh, come on over. <laughs> so digging around on Friday, I discovered that, uh, or I was reminded, I guess, that palm trees have a pretty um, impressive root network. Eleven years ago, we bought some, some, uh, that's one of them, there was another one, smaller one later, but bought some Costco palm trees. You know how they put them in Costco? Like, hey, we should get palm trees at Costco because everybody's getting them. And so we put those in our new yard eleven years ago and, and, you know, they're pretty substantial. Now, I planted the tree. I made sure it got water on the tree. But did I make that tree grow? Am I responsible for those beautiful fronds, you know, reaching out and providing shade and beautiful sound when the wind blows through them? No. Did I make the roots go out and network all through the ground? No. God did all that. So I planted, I watered, but God makes it grow. And likewise, we have different people who speak into our life. Or we we speak in other people's lives. But God gets the credit for the growth. Someone over here can speak into my life. Someone over here can speak a word of encouragement. Someone over here can speak a word of teaching. But it's God, as I receive those, God is the one who causes those things to to grow. Now, Paul is addressing something here that there's this competition. And as believers, we must always guard against our tendency toward favorites. Guard against our... See, whether you listen to Joel Osteen or John MacArthur, or, or my colleague Dale Oquist down there at People's Church, or if you listen to me, it, it almost doesn't matter. It's kind of irrelevant as long as we're teaching from the Word, teaching the Bible. See, when I, when I prepare to speak to you, I ask God to speak. I ask that you, that God would keep you from hearing me and that He would allow you to hear Him. That's my desire. I, I honestly, I don't really have anything to offer, but God's word has everything to offer. So that's my desire that you would hear the Lord, not me. So that way God can work. So when I'm on sabbatical in uh, February, March, the next two months, um, I trust you're going to be just as attentive to our guest speakers as you are to me. You're going to hear new things and fresh ways that God's going to speak to you. It's going to be really exciting and I'm really Kind of just sorry to miss it. I think it's going to be really good. Because here's the principle. It's not about who is teaching. It's about who we are proclaiming. I'm going to say that again, and then you're going to say amen. Okay? It's not about who is teaching. It's about who we are proclaiming. Amen. It's Jesus. That's what Paul's saying. See, I'm, I'm still a builder in God's kingdom, and potentially you are too. Paul, in verses 10 and 11, he says it this way, because of God's grace to me, I've laid the foundation like an expert builder. Now, others are building on it. But whoever is building on this foundation must be very careful, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one we already have, Jesus Christ. 
It's a good foundation. It's Jesus Christ. We're not rebuilding a foundation. We're building on the, the person, the word, the love, the work, the grace of Jesus Christ. All the things that are wrapped up in that. We're built on Jesus. The grace message that you're saved, not by your good efforts, not by trying harder, but you're saved by God's saving work through Jesus Christ on the cross and our faith in him. So I want you to picture this. Imagine this. You are on a construction site. We've been called to work on this, this building site. And this building site is the church, the tangible, the visible expression of the kingdom of God in this world. And we're invited to show up with the tools. You know, I've told you before, I used to be a, a, a tradesperson. And, and you show up, when you show up, you, you pull your tools out of your truck. You put your tool belt on, your, your spiritual gifts, your experiences, your, your interests. You bring all those things to the building site and you get to work. The foundation is already in place. So that's the good news. And from there we get busy. Verses 12 and 13, Paul goes on to say, anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. But on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. And the fire will show if a person's work has any value. See, what's really cool about this project is that we each bring a variety to it. The extroverts, the introverts, the musicians, the athletes, the artists, the academics, the teachers, the evangelists, the prophets, the administrators, the funny, the serious, the old, the young, the men, the women, the boys, the girls. We all get to contribute to the building of God's house. And because of that, there's a great variety in who builds and how we build. But we're warned from the outset that this house is going to be set on fire. A day of judgment is coming when our work will be tested. And so we're being warned in advance to make sure we're doing quality work. So if you were building a house and you knew that that house one day is going to face the flames, would it change how you build? Would you consider more carefully the kind of materials you would use? I, we, we knew a family that they, um, they wanted their house to last pretty permanently. So they built all steel construction. The downside of that, none of their phones would work inside the house. <laughs> well, that house, even when there's a fire, is probably going to be all right. What we do as a church quality of our construction is going to be tested on that day. Something compared to a fire. Paul says that some of what we've done, of what we done is just going to be a pile of ashes. He talks about that in verse 15. He, he, you'll be saved, he says, but, but just like with nothing but singed hair and smoke-filled lungs. I don't want to end up like that. I don't know if we realize that Paul's telling us something crucial here, that in eternity, some will have more than others. In eternity, some will have more than others. I'm about to rock your world for some of you a little bit. That's going to be hard to accept. But look, look at verse 14. He says, if the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. In other words, the one whose work doesn't survive 
They'll be there, but they won't receive a reward. Some are saved with nothing in hand. And most Christians say this, I don't need any rewards. I'm, I'm not in it for the rewards. I'm just happy to be saved. I'm just happy to, to have my sins forgiven. And just give me a little corner of heaven. That is good enough for me. And I appreciate the sentiment. And it sounds modest. And, and, and I get that. But it's a slap in the face to what Paul taught and what Jesus said. Jesus said that rewards come in varying values. For example, Matthew 16, 27, Jesus is talking about uh, laying down your life and taking up the cross daily. And then he says this in verse 27, the son of man is going to come. He's talking about himself. The son of man is going to come in his father's glory with his angels. And then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Not everybody's done all the same. Some did a little, some did a lot. And you will be rewarded accordingly. Tells us the rewards are not all equal. This is not sixth grade or six year old soccer. Not everybody gets a trophy, the same nice little plastic trophy at the end. In Matthew six, Jesus says you would be rewarded if, you know, for your giving and for your prayer and for your fasting if it's done with the right motivation. That should be both exciting and sobering for us. Matthew 6, verse 20, Jesus Jesus said this, you can actually convert your earthly wealth into eternal treasure. I mean, it is the best savings plan. It's the best financial opportunity ever. Verse uh, Chapter 6, verse 20, he said this. I didn't put it in there. Store your treasure in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy. And thieves do not break in and steal. Store your treasure in heaven. See, some of you put a lot of treasure away to be enjoyed in heaven for eternity through how you've served, how you've worked, how you've financially invested. It's really mysterious to us. But I take seriously what Jesus said. And I want to convert U.S. dollars into heavenly treasure. And it's not the dollar amount, okay? One person tithes off a hundred dollars and, and uh, out of their thousand they earn and they squeak by on the rest. Another tithes ten thousand off the and, and you know live on the other ninety e- equal giving, but it's not equal sacrifice. I think we're talking more in terms about the sacrifice that, that we make, the obedience to what God led you to do, what God compelled you to do. But rewards matter. Don't limit yourself and say, "Well, I'm not in this for the rewards, friends." I am. Not earthly rewards. I, I, don't, I don't... Look, there's a lot of amazing people in this church and you say nice things and you send a card and you... I, that helps a lot. They're like, that's really good and that's the kind of thing we're supposed to do for each other. Encourage each other, build each other up. But the reward I want is what I want to hear when Jesus says, well done, good and faithful servant. Come and receive. Come enter the rest that's been prepared for you. Come receive the reward that been laid aside for you. Come enjoy the treasure that you've laid up in heaven. Why wouldn't we want to make our work for the Lord as good as possible here so we can enjoy it as much as possible there? So I'm not, I'm not embarrassed to say I'm, I'm in it for the reward because I'm passing up on some earthly comforts and some earthly treasures to enjoy eternal treasure. 
Anyway, let's go back to verses 12 and 13, because I want to get into this thing about the quality of building materials. He Again, he says, anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. But on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of kind of work each builder has done. How, how would we know if we're building with hay or gold or wood or silver? Like the kind of work. How do we determine what that is? I think the work to build up the church, you know, the things that we do, sharing the gospel, uh, teaching, leading, baking cookies, uh, ushering, playing an instrument, uh, serving in the, in the nursery, different, all these different, everything that we do to create connections to lead people to a full life in Christ. That's, that's the kind of work we're talking about here. Every element of discipleship, every costly sacrifice you make. So the issue is not the tasks that we do, because Jesus even warned that on the judgment day, there'll be those who say, Jesus, we did all the right tasks. We even cast out demons and we performed miracles and we, we saw healings happen. We did all the stuff that you said we would be doing. And Jesus can say, get away from me. I never knew you. So it's not really about the duties, the tasks that we do. I think rather it's captured in how we do what we've been called to do, how we perform those tasks. How we do the work. And so I'm going to give you three things. Three ways to ensure quality spiritual construction in 2019. As you look at the kind of your ministry involvement and how how you get involved. And three things. The first is attitude. If I'm going to have quality work, like what's going to make it a a, a silver, gold, or a jewel instead of hay or straw? The first step is attitude. Just have a great attitude when you approach things. Be eager. Be willing. Don't don't kind of approach something begrudgingly. Fine, I guess I'll do it. Oh, okay, I'll help in the nursery, but just this once, you know. If that's your attitude, don't don't just don't do it, <laughs> right? Instead, convert that into a great attitude. Be willing. Don't be negative. Don't be complaining about it isn't the way you want it, and it's not your preference, and you would have done it. We used to do it this way, and it was way better. And have a great attitude. Maybe you get bumped off the schedule. Maybe someone else does what you like to do, but they do it better. And then that's okay. Find your thing. So have a great attitude. Secondly, build with a great effort. Choose, choose excellence over good enough. What do I mean by that? Uh, we talked about this yesterday in a, in a meeting with our, our church leaders. There's this kind of mentality that sometimes we have. It's like, ah, it's good enough. Ah, it's good. Yeah, we could do better, but yeah, it's good enough. We, we get, yeah, the carpet's kind of ugly and worn out, but that's good enough. I don't know if you've noticed, we've made changes here in the last five years. Bethany Church painted the building, put solar on the roof, fixed up the parking lot lights, painted a bunch of classrooms, put new carpet in some rooms, redid the bathrooms. You think, why? It was good enough. Yeah, technically it was good enough, but it wasn't excellent. It wasn't the best. It didn't say good hospitality. It didn't say to our to our our community and our friends who come. We didn't say we love you. It said, "Yeah, we don't really care. We'll put your kids on this dirty old carpet." We said, "No, we're going to do this with excellence because we want to love the people around us, and so we do a great job with things." When, when we have folks here who tell me, "Look, I have a, I just have a hard time hearing in this room, depending where I sit." And that, yeah, I know that's why we're embarking on this thing we call the Clarity Project. Some of you are frustrated right now because you think I can't really read my Bible where I'm sitting. I know, I know. That's why we're getting new lights put in. That's why we're raising money to get these things done so that we can that we can do that. I see my friend Pat over there. Pat, you found a light spot. It's good. 
You can read your Bible there, right? Others of you, Don, you're kind of in the dark this morning. I see you right there. Don's smiling always, no matter what. Right? So we want to, we don't want to say, eh, that's good enough. We want to do things with excellence. So we want to build with a great effort. When you're involved in, in a kids ministry program or Sunday, have you noticed our worship team? Have you noticed, have you been noticing something? They've been rehearsing midweek and it's like, it's a good morning this morning. Like, right? Third thing is motivation. Build from the right motivation. Are, are you serving selflessly or selfishly? Are you doing this for what you get out of it or for what you can contribute to it? When you, when you approach this with a great attitude, with great effort, with the right motivation, that work just begins to sparkle like gold and jewels, because God's getting the glory, not us. I have a really good story I want to tell you, but it's going to have to wait for another time. Okay, I'll tell you. <laughs> Just to illustrate this point, years ago, when we were, we had a kind of a year of limbo where we were trying to get our immigration paperwork together to, to legally move to the United States. And, um, come on, that was a little bit funny. <laughs> and, uh, we were attending this really great church and I was working the trades at the time. I was pretty busy and, and they, the children's ministry person had this big closet and they wanted shelves built in that room. I said, Oh, I, I could do that for you. No problem. I'd be happy to do that. And, uh, but I didn't get to it right away and I, I was busy and I was working and I didn't get to it and I didn't get, I'm like, oh, I really should do it, but I'm kind of busy and it was like half an hour drive to get there and, uh, one day, I'm, every morning I'm reading my devotions and I get to Psalm 15 one morning and it says that the godly person keeps his promises even when it hurts. And I went, ouch. And I had to convert my attitude and my effort and my motivation to say, okay, I'm doing this for Jesus, so I'm going to do a, as good a job as I can possibly do. I'm going to get on it. I'm going to sacrifice the time. I, I'm going to leave work early. I'm going to go get it done. Lots of you people in this room are exactly those kind of people. You're not like I was. You were like, you're, you're like the example to follow. That, that, that's what we're, the kind of thing we're talking about there. And lastly, it's not how we build the church that matters. It's all, not only how we build the church, but it's also how we protect the church. He goes on to that in both verses 15, I mean, verses 16 and 17. Paul says that together we are God's temple and the Holy Spirit lives in us. And woe to the person who tries to destroy this house. See, when we criticize each other, when we reject the guidance of spiritual leaders, when we, when we gossip or when we create division, we're, when we're stubborn, when we're resistant to God's new opportunities, you know what we're doing? We're tearing down the very work we're supposed to build up. We shred what we're supposed to construct. And a great way to, to protect the church it's just to make sure you're on mission with us. Just to make sure, yeah, I'm, I'm in. Well, I shared with these with you last week. I'll just quickly review them again this week. When we, when we talk about our purpose as a church, we say we want to make Christ Jesus known from here to the world. That's what we want to be about. We're making Christ Jesus known from here to the world. That's the purpose that we have. And so we say, yeah, okay, I can be on board with that. We're making disciples of all nations. 
We have a vision, what we see, that, we, that we're becoming a community of, of people that, that follows, a community of disciples that follows Jesus radically. It means like, we're not going to be just like the world around us. We're going to be different. We're going to say no to some stuff. We're going to deny ourselves some things so we can follow Jesus radically. We're going to love people practically in simple, authentic ways. And we're going to share the gospel simply. Just make it plain and understandable. And then we say we have a mission. What we're actually doing is we're creating connections to lead people to a full life in Christ. That's what I want you to be about. Creating the, the relationships, the connections you have around you, creating those things to lead people to a full life in Christ. I invite the rest of the worship team to join us as, uh, as Kurt uh, just helps us a little bit with, with music. We're going to sing a song that's called Build My Life. And it's... Uh, it's a declaration that says, I'm going to look at this foundation of Jesus Christ. Who he is. What he has said. The love that he's poured out on the cross. That's what I'm going to build my life on. There's some of you can talk about, you know, before you met Christ, you were building your life on your career. You're building your life on your education. You're building your life on your good looks. You're building your life on relationships. Some of you can say, I, I built my life on a, on a relationship. It crumbled and then my life fell apart. You say, I, I built my life on finances and then my finances disappeared and my life fell apart. We want to say instead, I'm going to build my life on Jesus, on His grace, on His love for me, on the Word He's spoken to me. That's what I want to build my life on. He alone is worthy. He's worthy. Let's stand together as we sing this song.